Welcome, 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 welcome to another Science of the Covenant podcast. And as usual, we want to give praises to the Most High, Ahaya Asher Ahaya. I'm Boyce Washington, and as you know, on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. And we want to say shalom. Now, are you ready to get into this biblical study for this evening? We hope you are. So... Make sure you have everything you need to follow along in this Bible study. And the most important thing you want to have is your Bibles to follow along and to read the scriptures along with us. So if you're ready, I'm turning it over to my co-host. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, last evening, what we were discussing was the redemptive marriage and what we're looking at is when we go to the redemptive, you know, which is the water, and we recognize the spirit and the water works together, that there are a number of ceremonial rituals that was done with the water that are very important to the believers. Now, the one that we've already discussed was the marriage and the wedding and we look at the, the ceremony and the ritual that goes along with it it's like we would look at marriage marriage is a ceremony but the ritual is the wedding and we want to look at some some of the other significant uh, ceremonial rituals in the as we deal with the water and the spirit now, we've briefly observed the redemptive wedding. Let us now consider the ceremonial ritual of baptism, of which we will refer to as the redemptive washing, the redemptive washing. So when we get baptized, there's a certain washing or cleansing that takes place. So we want to look at it as the redemptive washing. And if you have your scriptures, and we trust that you do, we want to turn to the 30th chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 30. And there's a passage that we want to consider as we look at the redemptive washing. So here in Exodus chapter 30, and we start verse 17, it says, And Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying, Thus shall thou a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet therein when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall wash with water, but they die not. Well, when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto Yehoah, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not, that it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. So here we are told that when Moses received the knowledge of the tabernacle, 
here in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, that this labor was for the washing. And when they go in and out of the tabernacle, he wanted to make sure that they were clean and that they had cleansed themselves. So when we look at the redemptive washing, we are looking at not only the physical washing, but also we are looking at the spiritual washing. Now, in conjunction with that text, we want to also turn into the book of John, the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we want to look at chapter 3, and we want to concentrate on one verse there, which is verse 5. <clears throat> Genesis, not Genesis, but John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, And Yeshua answered, Verily, verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of Elohim. So here again, he is telling Nicodemus about uh, a cleansing, a washing, uh, being born of the water and being born of the Spirit. And we want to go to another text, and that's found in the book of uh, Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we want to go to chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And, and here in Ephesians chapter 5, we want to consider verse number 26. Now what we notice here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, in verse 25, it tells you who this is talking about. It's, it's saying that husbands love your wives, even as the Messiah also loved the church. So in other words, what he's talking about, he's comparing the husband and the wife with the relationship of the Messiah and his church. The Messiah He's the man or the husband, and the church is a woman and the wife. So what he is saying is that his wife or his woman or the church has to be cleansed. So in the redemptive washing, which takes place in the same place of the redemptive wedding, we've, we've looked at the wedding. In the redemptive washing, we want to also consider at least two basic elements in the washing. Two elements are water and spirit. Along with these two elements, we have two types of baptism. We start with the first type, and then we'll proceed with the second uh, type. Now, we look at, uh, we go back to the, the Gospel of John, and when we go back to the Gospel of John, we turn again back to ch chapter 3, and in chapter 3, we want to look at verse number 5. Here, when Yeshua was talking to Nicodemus by night, he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of Elohim. So what we are saying here is 
we're seeing the baptism of water here. Here Yeshua speaks about speaks about Nicodemus being born of the water, which we refer to as the aqua baptism. So when we talk about baptism of the water, that's the aqua baptism. Now the aqua baptism concerns itself with the immersion by water. This immersion by water was the ministry of which John the Baptist engaged into in the preparation for the coming of the Messiah. So the aqua baptism is a baptism of repentance. It is this baptism which prepares the repentant for the next uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. So now, when we turn into, let us turn to uh, the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, we want to look at, uh, I believe it's chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3. And in this particular chapter, let me see. And in this chapter, we want to look at uh, verse... Let me see. We want to look at verse number, verse number six, and then it's another verse we'll look at. But anyway, we'll start with verse six. Here it says, uh, talking about John the Baptist, it says, and we're bept. Well, let's start up a little bit further to get a little context here. It said, then, in verse 5, it said, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in, in Jordan, <laughs> confessing their sins. Now, what we see here is that John's baptism as they moved out uh, into the Jordan River, he was doing some baptizing. And with the baptizing that he was doing, they were confessing their sins. So when we actually look at the baptism uh, by which John was engaged in, that was a baptism of repentance. Okay. Because when we read in the same third chapter, of the Matthew, it says, in those days, John, in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, when he was preaching, and they were being baptized, then this is what we call the baptism of repentance. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter says, it says, Then cometh Yeshua from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and cometh thou to me. And Yeshua answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all, right, all righteousness. Then he suffered him 
In other words, when Yeshua came to be baptized, John recognized that he didn't need any baptism. Because that was when you get baptized, that was a baptism of repentance, and you're repenting of sin. And since Yeshua didn't have any sin, John is questioning Yeshua by saying, you don't, you don't need to be here because there is no sin in you. And so Yeshua said, well, just suffer me to do it anyway. And by doing this, we're going to fulfill all righteousness. What he was simply saying to John, I'm not getting baptized because I sin, but I'm getting baptized because I am so showing the sinner the route to go that when they sin, then they can have their sins washed away. So if you do this for me, then they, as they follow me and doing the same thing, then they can get forgiveness for their sins. So that, that was the aqua baptism because of the fact that when they confess their sins, then they wash their sins away through baptism. Why was that necessary? Well, that was necessary because of the fact that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, then the life must be sinless. There must not be any sin. So when we have the aqua baptism or washing away our sins, it is a preparation for the, what we call the pneumos baptism. Now the pneumos baptism is the baptism of the spirit. Now we go back to our text in John chapter three, and it says in verse five, Yeshua answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water. Okay. So when you're born of the water, that means you have repented of your sins. And then that's the preparation of the receiving of the power of the Holy spirit. And then he goes on in the same fifth verse of the third chapter of John. And he says, not only be born of the water, but you have to also be born of the spirit. And as I pointed out, this is called a pneumos baptism. Once having come up out of the waters of baptism of repentance, having all of our sins forgiven, we position ourselves to be recipients of the Holy Spirit of Yehovah. Elohim has allowed, Elohim has already positioned himself to bestow his spirit upon us when we come up out of the waters of repentance, pure, clean, holy, and innocent. Once each person individually and the church collectively repent of sins, Elohim longs to bestow upon them the greatest and most effective power to be to be bestowed upon humankind with the Holy Spirit's power bestowed upon his people he can steer them in the right course and help them to perform the duties they have been gifted by him to do moreover when we experience the baptism of both the water and the spirit this also is referred to as the bio and the zoo baptism. Let us examine these two baptisms. Now, when we talk about a bio baptism, 
B-I-O, bio-baptism. Now, in the bio-baptism, we are dealing with the manner and means or the period of life one engages in. So now, when we look at the word bio, the Greek word means life. It's a Greek word that means life, bio. And it's the same word that we get our word biology. When we take biology and put on the end of bio, we have biology, which is the study of life. Now, particularly when we talk about the bio-baptism here, in a bio-baptism, one is immersed into a way of life that corresponds to a lifestyle of righteousness. One is in an environment of righteousness by which one is surrounded within an atmosphere of sanctification. Moreover, it has to do with one's means of attaining what it is in life, that, that which one wants to attain in life. Whatever one is aspiring to be or to accomplish, only spiritual rather than carnal means are employed. Righteousness rather than unrighteousness. Goodness rather than evil. Not only are the spiritual means used, but also spiritual gifts bestowed upon one by Yah's Holy Spirit. In addition to the bio-baptism, we also have the zo-baptism. Let us now examine or explore this baptism, the zo-baptism. Now, one of the Greek words for life is zo just like bio is one word, but they also have the, the word zoe, Z-O-E, and it also means life, but it deals with life in a different sense. It deals with the life as an activity or emotion. You see, the bio deals with the means and the manner of life, but this deals with the activity or the motion. The activities we perform are influenced by the promptings and the ruling of the Holy Spirit of righteousness. The baptism by water is the ceremony, and the baptism by the Spirit is the ritual. Consequently, we can see that the bio and the zoa, zoa baptisms compensate one another. The bio baptism submerges one in righteousness, and the zoe baptism enables us to perform righteous duties in harmony with the Spirit's nurturing. So when we talk about the ceremony of baptism, we're looking at the ritual of the washing. And as we look at that washing, then it's to cleanse us and prepare us for the greatest power that the church is looking for, which is the Holy Spirit of Elohim. Now, so we 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 looked at the we looked at the wedding that took place with the with the water, and now we have just dealt with the uh, the baptism or the washing uh, with the water. 
Another ceremonial ritual is that of giving birth, of which we refer to as the redemptive womb. This ceremonial ritual also takes place in the same place as the redemptive wedding and the redemptive washing. So when we look at this uh, baptism, we want to be able to see how Elohim we want to see how Elohim clean, cleans, cleanses, cleanses his people. And now we are coming to the redemptive womb. The redemptive womb primarily deals with the giving of birth. In the redemptive birth, we discover that it is what we may refer to in a number of ways, such as born again, born from above, born of the water, second birth, third birth. When we consider each of these terms, they are justifiable according to the perspective by which we look at birth, just like the birth of flesh takes place in a woman's womb, even so, the spiritual birth takes place in a woman's womb. It is understood that it is the woman who has the womb to carry the child and to bear children. Let us now break down who the woman is, what does the woman represent, and who are the children coming forth from the womb. Okay, we want to turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to go to the 19th chapter. Revelation chapter 19. And in the Revelation chapter 19, we want to want to look at verse number 7, Revelation 19:7. And here the Bible says in the 19th chapter of Revelation in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And then we want to keep our finger on that page and turn back to Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, we want to look at verse uh, Ephesians 5, and we want to look at verse number 24. Ephesians 5.24 in conjunction to Revelation 19.17. Now here it says in the 24th verse of the 5th chapter of Ephesians it said therefore as the church is subject unto the Messiah so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So in other words here we got another analogy is the fact that in Revelation, it talks about Yeshua's wife being ready. And here it speaks about uh, uh, wives being subject to their husband. And so it's also talking about here that the wife of Yeshua is subject unto him. In these, in, here in these texts, we are told concerning marriage of the Lamb. So when we turn back to Revelation, when he speaks about the marriage of the Lamb, 
We understand the lamb to be Yeshua, our Messiah. And his wife is the church, which would also be the woman. What does the womb of the woman represent? In the womb of the woman, we have both the blood and the water and the sperm of which a child comes from. The womb of the woman is the baptistry by which a person is baptized and upon coming out of the waters of baptism is like a newborn baby coming out of its mother's womb. The children coming forth out of baptism are those who have been justified by Yeshua's blood and has washed the way their sins and are now coming forth unto new life of sanctification. So here we have it. The woman is the church and the church has a womb just like the woman and the womb is the baptistry where a person is baptized and the children are those who are born and come through the waters of baptism, and when they are born and come through the waters of baptism, then they are made sanctified. And so we have the, the church, which is the wife of the Messiah, and then we have the wound of the woman, that when those who are coming into his covenant church, they have to come through the waters of baptism which is represented by the womb of the woman of the church. And when they come through those waters and they, they are born again and they come out of the waters of baptism, it is like a baby coming out of the womb of a woman. And as a result, they are now the children of Elohim in the sense of being sanctified. Now that we have looked at the redemptive womb, let us now concern, let us now concern uh, concern ourselves with the ceremony of death. Death of which we will refer to as the redemptive awakening. When we consider the redemptive awakening, there are at least three factors which goes along with it. Let us consider these factors. In a logical sense, sequence, we will do this by dividing death into three events. The three events that are in death, number one, we had death, and once a person dies, the person is buried, and then once they are buried, they await the resurrection. So let us briefly look at each of these events. Death is when the believer in Yeshua dies to sin. And when they die to sin, what happens? The burial is when the sinful life is put into the watery grave. So when they put that sinful life into the watery grave, they're going to leave that life. And then when they are resurrected, they leave the old life and they come out of the watery grave into a new life of Yehoah. Now let, let's, let us turn to Romans. Let us turn to book of Romans and see how Paul takes the same scenario and how he deals with it. 
And that's in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we want to start with verse 4. Paul deals with this death, burial, and resurrection. So here we find in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1, it said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, Paul is addressing the, uh, uh, the scenario that uh, a lot of people say that since we're under grace, then we can go ahead on and sin and continue our lifestyle because grace was covered us. But Paul is a- a- answering the question. He said, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he said, Elohim, in other words, to forbid, he said, he is saying, may it not be. No, because Elohim gives you grace. You don't use that grace just to continue to sin and say, well, his grace is going to come. Paul says, Elohim forbid. He said, may that not be. He said, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He said, once we have been baptized and gone down to water grave, he said, we don't live to sin anymore. And then in verse 3, he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Yeshua, the Messiah, were baptized into his death. So here, here Paul is saying, when you when you uh, uh, being new for Elohim, then just like Yeshua died, we die with him in death. And when we die with him in death, then we are getting rid of a sinful life. And then he goes on further to say in verse number four, therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death. Okay. So in other words, he's saying the old sinful life, we died to that. And so Paul is saying in, 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 the, in the fourth verse, once we die to sin, then we are buried. In other words, you're going to bury those sins now. And how do you bury them? You bury them them by baptism into death. Okay? So once you die to sin, then you bury them in the baptism in the watery grave. Like as the Messiah. You remember John told him, you don't need to be baptized. But Yeshua said, I got to show them the way. And so here Paul is saying that like as the Messiah was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even when he died physically, and he went into the grave, the Father raised him up. But he is likened baptism the same way that when we go down into the watery grave, that when we come up, we're not coming up sinful. But in verse 4, in the latter part, it says, even so, we are also walk in the newness of life. Okay? He said we walk in the newness of life. In other words, I buried the old man, now I'm resurrected, to walk in newness of life, I'm being led by the Spirit. And it goes on further to say in Romans 6 and verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So in other words, when we go down sinful, we don't come up the same way. We come up righteous in the resurrection. This is what the awakening is all about. He said, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, if we be dead with the Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that the Messiah being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more power, no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto Elohim. So what we are seeing here is these rituals or these ceremonial rituals that are being displayed by the waters of, of baptism. And as we can see, these particular uh, rituals and ceremonies being looked at by baptism, we'll see a number of these within the water and the Holy Spirit. So when we look at all of these particular ceremonial rituals, they have a bearing on our life. So we're going to stop there and see if there's any questions or any observation on how we were. Can you explain more because about grace covering sin? Because I think a lot of people are under the impression, especially those who worship on Sunday, I can go out there and eat as much pork as I want. I can go to the club and party and come to church. And still, grace is going to cover me to get into the kingdom and all. Yeah, well, uh, the apostle, you know, he speaks about grace and the sense of not nullifying the law, but by keeping it. In other words, uh, if you read uh, in his writings, uh, the Apostle Paul is pointing out that when we have grace, grace is the enabling power to help us to keep uh, the word. And so when we say we can just continue to sin and eat anything we want to eat, dress any way we want to dress and do anything we want to do, then that's not really grace. That's disgrace. Uh He doesn't give us grace to sin. He gives us grace to do his will because if he was going to give us grace to sin, it would, it really wouldn't have been any need for him to die on the cross. He could, he could have said, you know, I I can save my life and I, you know, I just give you grace and you, you, and you okay. But no, he had to die for our sins. And because he died for our sin, he gives us grace to be able to be able to have the power to do his will. Just like even in the Old Testament, it says that it said, nor he found grace in the eyesight of Elohim. When everybody else was corrupted, uh, uh, he found grace. But it wasn't a grace to just go back out into the world and do what everybody else was doing. But it was grace to keep what he wanted them to keep, which was his covenant. So grace is not given to sustain us in sin, grace is given to us to get us out of sin. And then when we can follow that grace, then we can reach the expectation of what Elohim wants us, uh, want us to meet. So, so why would a lot of these ministers just say, you know, oh, you can pray over it and Yah will forgive you, you know, cause you're covered under his grace. 
and you continue to sin. It's basically like basically to me saying that, you know, a person can continue to sin and that God grace is going to cover them because a lot of people are still under the impression that that that's the way things go. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not. Well, I guess you would have to ask the pastor why they do that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why they do it, but I know if they are doing it, still the fact remains is the fact that if you're endorsing sin, then why would you even have a church to teach people about righteousness if you're endorsing them to sin? Yeah. It, it's, it's a contradictory. That's you know, true. when you read the Bible, it says, and I believe in Matthew 121, they should call him Yeshua for he shall save his people from sin, not in sin. So if you're going to save them from sin, then he has come to show them the way to get rid of sin, not to continue to do it and expect that grace would uh, continue to just erase everything they're doing if they are just purposely doing everything they want to do contrary to his will. So also, now, how can one be born of the water and the spirit? Okay, now, as I was pointing out, uh, when you look at that, that birth, when you are born of the water, then that means that's the baptism of repentance. In other words, you're repenting of the sins that you've committed. Mm-hmm. It's like we've been talking about grace, okay? And we found out that uh, we have been sinning and that we, we've gone against his will. And we confess it and we ask Lord for forgiveness. And then when we are baptized with the water, then that helps us to get rid of sins. And when we come up out of the water, he gives us the Holy Spirit, not to take us back into sin, but to continue to lead us in the path of righteousness. So when we experience baptism, it is the baptism of repentance, of saying, Father, I changed my mind about sin, and I want to do right. And when I want to uh, change my mind, not only to do right, but also my behavior, I'm going to change that too. Salvation starts at the mind and it moves into our behavior, such as what we say and what we do. And so that prepares us for the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we call that being born of the Spirit. And that's what he was telling Nicodemus. You, you should not only repent, Nicodemus, but you got to also be led by the Holy Spirit. So the way we get the baptism of the water and the Spirit is simply by repenting of our sins and being baptized, washing away our sins and then allowing the Holy spirit to continue to lead us. Okay. One last question before we move on. So baptism is tied to Yah's marriage to his people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that's, that, uh, in other words, baptism is so important and as we can, as we saw by the rituals that we were uh, looking at, mm-hmm. uh, baptism ties them to his people. Now let's see how he ties it to his people. Now, if you have a uh, just a little knowledge of the sanctuary, okay, if you just have a little knowledge of that, let's let's look at that. Mm-hmm. Now, in the sanctuary that he told Moses to build, he says to Moses that he was to build a tabernacle and it's to have the two rooms in that tabernacle, which was the holy and the most holy place. And the most holy place was where Elohim was to be. 
But then they had a court around the sanctuary. Okay. Now, what I want you to see is this, is that he told Moses, I want you to make the sanctuary according to the pattern that I've shown you in the mount. When he was in the mountain for 40 days, Elohim not only gave him the Ten Commandments and the statutes and his laws, but he also gave him uh, a pattern that he saw of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Now, the pattern that he saw was like the heavenly sanctuary. So when Moses had the earthly tabernacle uh, built, it was on the style of the heavenly sanctuary. Okay, now, what I want you to see is this. It's in the court of the sanctuary on earth. You had two pieces of furniture. One we talked about this evening, which was the labor, which is where we look to see in the sanctuary as a place of baptism or the washing. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of furniture in the court was the altar of burnt offerings where the sacrifice was put on and burned. Now, so we asked ourselves the question, if the earthly sanctuary has a courtyard with a brazing labor with water and an altar of burnt offerings where they had to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And if he was making this according to what he had seen the pattern in heaven, then it would suggest to me that if the earthly sanctuary was built on the model of the heavenly sanctuary, then the heavenly sanctuary should also have a courtyard where you have the what? The labor and the altar burnt offerings. But nowhere do you really read that the heavenly sanctuary in heaven had a brazen labor or an altar that they burned the sacrifice. So why was that? Well, I believe the question that you just asked is the fact, how does that connect the marriage with his people? Yes, how it does that. Mm-hmm. The heavenly sanctuary's court with a labor and the altar of burnt offerings where the sacrifice was, it was on earth. In other words, the heavenly sanctuary's courtyard is on earth. So where would the labor be on earth? Well, the labor would be the Jordan River or baptism where John baptized Yeshua. That's when Yeshua told John, it's not that I've sinned, but I have to show my people the way. And so when he was baptized in that water of the Jordan, that connected the earth with heaven. Mm. And when he was crucified on the earth, then that cross was actually the altar of burnt offering where the sacrifice was. So there are two things that marry us to the Father in heaven or to the heavenly kingdom is the baptism in the Jordan River and the crucifixion of Yeshua on Golgotha. Mm-hmm. Those two acts married us to Elohim. It married us to him. And as a result, we become his children. Mm. Wow. Excellent point. Excellent. Up next is let's talk about that. Today on Let's Talk About That, I kind of want to talk about herbs of the Bible and healing. 
And I want to read a verse from the Book of Jubilees, which is found in the Apocrypha. If many of you aren't familiar with the Apocrypha, they are called the Lost Books. And it's a few of them, the Book of Jubilee, the Book of Jasher, and a few others. If you're not familiar with it, you can look online. You can find it by just Googling the Apocrypha. And in Jubilees 10, 10 through 14, it states, And one of us he commanded that we should teach Noah all their medicines, for he knew that they would not walk in uprightness, nor strive in righteousness. And we did according to all his words, all the malignant evil ones we bound in the place of condemnation, and a tenth part of them we left that they might be subject before Satan on earth. And we explained to Noah all the medicines of their diseases together with their seductions, how we might heal them with the herbs of the earth. And Noah wrote down all these things in a book as we, we instructed him concerning every kind of medicine. Thus the evil spirit that were precluded from hurting the sons of Noah. And he gave all that he had written to Shem, his eldest son, for he loved him exceedingly above all sons. <clears throat> so, now we read here that Yahuwah gave knowledge to Noah about different herbs to heal different elements. And I would think at this time that they wasn't really doing all these mixing and chemical potions that we are doing now because everything that's come from the earth. Now, when we look up the word pharmacy and we go to the etymology of the word pharmacy, it comes from the word pharmacia or from the Greek word pharmakia, meaning a healing or harmful medicine, a healing or poisonous herb, a drug, poison, potion, magic potion, dye, raw material, or physical or chemical processing. Now, a pharmacist comes from the word pharmakias, a preparer of drugs, a poisoner, a sorcerer from pharmacon, a drug, a poison, filter, charm, spell, enchantment. These are the words that come from pharmacy. And when we, a lot of times when we go to the doctor, what are they doing? They are basically writing us prescription that we would go to the pharmacy to get a drug. Now, what is a drug? Now, according to pharmacology, a drug is a substance used to treat an illness to relieve a symptom or modify a chemical process in the body for a specific purpose. Now... My question is this, if y'all put herbs on this planet to heal just about every element, why do we not have faith in his healing as opposed to faith in, in a basically a pharmacist or a sorcerer who's creating these potions? And we know these potions aren't here to heal you because if why would you take something that you would take and it gives you some adverse other effects. And I remember one thing when I was taking a class and I believe it was in biology or anatomy. And I had my instructor who stated that 
aspirin and Tylenol is nothing but poison. And he said to us that all it does, the pain is still there. The reason why you're taking these things is to eliminate the pain. You're thinking it's eliminate the pain, but all it is doing is killing that nerve sensor that's telling you something is hurting you and just killing it and all. But it's the pain is still there. So my saying is this. Do we really have faith in Yah when it comes to healing? Or are we taking and putting our faith in man? Yeah, I think that's a very uh, good question as we challenge the uh, medical field. And I think a lot of the uh, challenges that we have to look at is that herbs versus medicine. Mm-hmm. And we look at the words, like you say, pharmacia, pharmacia, that has to do with uh, they even call it sorcery. So mm-hmm. a lot of people think of terms of sorcery as some witch doctor or something. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that in order for a person, man, if they do these uh, particular drugs, then they can reduce the power of the man to be able to think. It's interesting that she uh, was on the cross and they gave this. Uh, I think they were saying it's some kind of a wine, or riding wine or something mm-hmm. with a certain mixture in it. And did not want to take anything to his body that would beguile his mind mm. and cause him not to see the clear plan of salvation. We know that if we keep our minds in tune and keep them active and sharp, that drugs cannot play a part in that because if we continue to do that, then it even, would even weaken our minds. But another thing that we must look at also is that when you look at the medical sign, mm-hmm. I think they call it the Eclipia sign, which is, Eclipius. you see, a serpent, was that? You said Eclipius? Yeah, Eclipius, it's a, it's a type of a sign Mm-hmm. that has a pole and on that pole you have a serpent mm-hmm. okay yeah. now that's the medical sign that they have now when you look at uh, the education of many of the doctors in their curriculum mm-hmm. I don't think they have any um, subjects on herbs or on the correct things to eat now they sure. may they may have a few side courses that they look at, but most of their curriculum uh, does not include food. Mm-hmm. It mostly deals with medicine. And even today, when you see modern medicine, what do you see? You see that many times it's not the doctors that are trying to get you well or to give you a remedy for what your situation is. Mm-hmm. It's the pharmaceutical companies that are educating the doctors now. Mm. The doctors have to keep up with the, the uh, pharmaceutical companies to know what they are giving to the patients. So if the patient asks for it, then they are educated to know. Mm-hmm. So when you look at their educational background, they have been taught, they have been taught all of these medicines and, and, and things that when you 
try to prescribe what you call the healthy herbs, mm-hmm. then the medical association want to shut you down. Even if you say a herb could heal a certain things, you can only say, well, uh, this, this herb is good. And this is, these are the nutrients in it. But mm-hmm. if you say it could heal something, then by law, I guess, uh, they can shut you down because you are claiming that this herb can do a certain thing. But yet when you take a uh, narcotic or a drug and they can say it can heal a certain thing, nobody is taking them to court for saying that an aspirin can cure a headache. Mm-hmm. And really the aspirin, as you brought out, is doing more damage to the body than some food. But yet if you say an aspirin can cure a headache, Nobody says anything, but if I said you go out here and get some uh, herbs or certain type of uh, uh, roots and and stuff, Mm -hmm. and you say it can heal your headache, they said, no, you you can't do that. We have to shut you down. (laughs) So, so there's a conflict between Elohim's way of health and man's way of health. And, and as you talked about the pain, uh, the, uh, if, when you take a, 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 drug for a pain, what does it do? It may deaden the pain and then it may even help the pain. But what you experience is that when you take that drug, it's going to move that pain in a, in another area True. of the body. And then you got to take another drug for that. Mm-hmm. And then it moves into another area of the body and you can't have to take another drug for that. And that's what you call a side effect. In other words, you take a drug, and it remove and and and, and 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 many people think they are cured, but it has a side effect. It takes that same pain and moves it somewhere else. Yeah. And this is why a lot of people they have found out, especially among older people, they may have so many drugs that they have to have a tutor to help them to take the drugs because they are taking so many. Wow. They may they may be taking eighteen uh, different types of drugs. And with all that stuff in your system, you get mixed up. So you have to have a pill box that you have to have a number. You take one drug here. And then after that, you take this one, you have to organize them, but sometimes you're not able to. So a person has to come in and actually sit down with you and give you the drugs at the time which you need to take them. And so drugs, um, really designed to, uh, not cure you but just to mask the symptoms that you have. It mm-hmm. only deals with the symptoms, but it does not deal with the core of what your illness is. It only deals with the, the symptoms, but not the cause. Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting for people who don't believe it, just look at these pharmaceutical commercials. They would say for a particular ailment, they would say, Oh, we would solve or help this situation. But then they'll run through at the end of the commercial a whole line of side effects. It may cause this, 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 and this. And to me, I'm like, okay, why would I want to put something in my body for one that I don't know what's in it? When you take an herb, and especially if you get it from the, from the earth, you understand what that herb is and all, you know, before you put it in your body. But you're dealing with pharmaceuticals with something that is manufactured for you don't know what's included in that thing. 
Mm-hmm. It could be baby fetus, pig blood, a bat droppings, anything mm-hmm. in there. And you don't even know it, you know, mm-hmm. and you thinking these things is healing you when to me, in essence, it's kind of killing you slowly. Mm-hmm. For some people, for some people who may be accelerated, it may be killing them even faster, you know. But I, I just wonder with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With. Having a healthy body, it creates a healthy mind and also creates a healthy relationship with Yah. But I I feel that when we take a pharmaceutical drug, it takes our mind off the king and put it on whatever body ailment that we are suffering with. And I think it takes away Mm -hmm. our sense of faith in the most high to be able to heal us of what our ailments are. Mm. Well, that's true. Now, you know, if if we if we if we uh, look at drugs, actually, drugs is not a food. You know, mm, no. it is it is it. In other words, it is taken Elohim's food mm-hmm. and rearranged it. See, that's what uh, the satanic forces are trying to do: is to change Elohim's order. Mm-hmm. And when they change his order, a part of that is to take food, rearrange it, and give it back to us. Mm-hmm. But when they give it back to us in the drug form, the body is not designed to deal with drugs. Yeah. The body has been designed to deal with food. Yeah. So when we go all the way back to Genesis, what is that? If we look at Genesis, Genesis says that he has given us the herbs, he has given us the plants, the trees, and he said the trees would have the meat on it or the, the fruit and these trees will reproduce after their kind. Mm-hmm. In other words, they continue to reproduce and give us what we need. Mm-hmm. Because where did where 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 does the plant grow? It grows in the earth. Yeah. It gets all, all of the nutrients and the minerals and stuff from the soil. And where does it get its light? It gets all of its light and stuff from the sun. You got the air, you got the rain. And that helps the plant to grow. Mm-hmm. So you say to yourself, that is the plants come out of the earth. Where did man come from? The Bible says that Adam, he came from the earth. So therefore, whatever is in the earth is what is in Adam. And in, in order to get it back into Adam, you don't eat the dirt. You don't eat the bark of the tree. But what you do eat is that which comes from the tree because it has taken all of the nutrients from the soil that is found in Adam's body. And then it gives it back to Adam in fruit and vegetables and all of the things that the human body needs in order to revitalize itself and to renew the various tissues in, in the human body. And then another striking thing is this. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed that when you read in the book of Genesis, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't until the fourth day, that they got light mm-hmm. because the Bible says the sun, the moon, and the stars didn't appear until the fourth day. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, then where did the light come from? Mm-hmm. The only place that I can think that the light came from was Elohim himself. So it was a light of Elohim that was going into the plants even before the sun and the moon got there. So this means that when Elohim had faith that the, very herbs of the field and all of that could heal man. 
is because his very light was in those particular things. And when we ate that, we were getting the light from Elohim himself. And so Elohim says when the photosynthesis is worked out and you get the chlorophyll and you get all of the food Mm -hmm. and you get the carbohydrates and the starch and all that, that has come about from the nutrients of the earth and also the light that Elohim has given it. And as a result of that light, then what do we have? We have all of the nutrients that man needs. And if we would subsist on that, then man would be far better. But the pharmaceutical world is taking over Elohim's natural curing. Mm -hmm. And as a result, many people who have not been taught the covenant and have looked at the book of Yovaline and the the book of Genesis, they think that man has so arrived and it discovered more than what Elohim has. Mm -hmm. And so, that has become their source of authority that whatever the doctors say, that's what we do. Because every time they come out with a drug or something, what do the first thing they say? Check with your doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, even Yeshua, isn't he a doctor? He's one of the greatest doctors in the world. <laughs> but yeah. nobody said check with him. Yeah. True. Man, those are some really, really great points. You know, um, we, we don't check with him because, you know, the thing he done put all these things here on earth. He created us. So mm-hmm. he knows what things we would need for the different type of ailments and everything mm-hmm. that we have. But, you know, we put yeah. faith so much in, uh, in these men and all these concoctions and all which don't really heal us at all. You know, it, it reminds me mm-hmm. of listening to this one guy. He was talking about how this guy had cancer. And the doctor told him to that they were going to have to put him on chemo. And the guy wasn't too thrilled about going on um, having chemotherapy. So he Mm. said the guy went home, started to think. And something came to him. Go get you some dandelion root out in the field. Said the guy went some dan got some dandelion root, dried it out, made it into a tea, started drinking the tea. Several months later, went back to the doctor. Doctor said his cancer was gone. You mm. know, it, it, it's just interesting that, you know, these herbs can do that. And then when we look at and when we really watch the animals, watch what they eat and how long they be along, especially if they're out in the wild and all, mm-hmm. you know, they I don't think they're too much different from we are. Because I think a lot of the pharmaceutical right. drugs that they give these animals when you take them into a vet are the same ones they're giving humans. You no, know, I doubt it. You know, for, for certain ailments and everything, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it just shows because, you know, it seems like, because I know in years prior when I've taken pharmaceutical drugs, I don't know, it, it's almost like a spell that's being put on you when you take those things and all. Because I remember one time years ago when I was having problems sleeping and I went to the doctor and they prescribed me uh, Xanax. That's I did. I could I took it maybe twice and I had to stop because I didn't like the way it made me feel. And uh, it, just, it just was a weird experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, Yahuwah has all this knowledge for us as far as the herbs. And like you said, with the diet, diet plays a humongous role. In our health. But I think a lot of us wants to eat the wrong things constantly. And then we want to pray and ask Yahuwah to heal us as well as, you know, as we're taking all these other medications. I got to go take my meds 
mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's just crazy, you know, to even fathom, you know, to constantly for years to be taking all this medication, one for high blood pressure, one for your diabetes, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff. When just simple change of diet can heal a lot of our ailments. That's true. And I think sometimes when you uh, look at some of these simple remedies, uh, it's amazing that uh, when we look at people saying they want people to be healthy and deal with this coronavirus and all of this, mm-hmm. and all we hear is wearing the mask. Yeah. We don't hear anything about trying to build up your immune system, no. trying to get nice fresh air, trying to uh, drink pure water trying to eat vegetables and fruits, mm-hmm. good and vitamin C. Yeah. And then things like just taking a, a lemon and squeezing it and putting it in about a half a glass of water and drinking it, mm-hmm. it helps purifying to clean your liver out. And yet yeah. if you go to the doctor, if they say they want to clean your liver, you have to pay maybe about $30,000 if you get a new liver or if they take a, a surgical operation on you, but yet and still a little lemon, no more than 50 cents can probably clean your liver and be able to have you a healthy immune system in no time. But these are the things that they have overlooked and that's given the people the drugs and sent the people don't know any better then that's who they follow. But you know, it, it seems like it, it's, it's programming um, by the mm-hmm. media and the news and everything else, because, you know, even like with the coronavirus and whatnot, they say that, you know, oh, put on a mask and get the shot and all. It'll solve. And I know we probably talked about this before. But, you know, we have to think if our body's a temple, what are you putting into your temple that they're not telling you? And then, you know, my thing is if I was never sick in the first place, why would I just go get a shot? Hmm. You know, I mean, if if I if I never had no ailments of COVID at all, why would I just go get a shot for what? I'm not sick. So you injected me just because on a hypothetical assumption that uh, I might get it and spread it, or to prevent me from getting it from somebody else. If you and then on top of that, if you already done had it and you fought it off without a shot. You had a proper antibodies in your system to fight it off. So what you need a shot for? Mm-hmm. What are they putting into you? You know, but I don't think uh, uh, people are asking this question. It's like all these people are just sheep being led to a slaughter, following what everybody else do because they feel that they want to get back to some type of normalcy. There would never be again any type of normalcy again. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are asking the question, but on the thing, when they ask it, they shut them down. Yeah. They can't have a Facebook. Yeah. They can't have this. And even they they set the president of the United States, Trump, down. Yeah. He can't say what he want to say. No. And so they just giving you their narrative. They don't want to hear your narrative. Yeah. You know, they, but mm-hmm. I think once you understand the principles of health, then you know how to build up your immune system. Yeah. Now, isn't it interesting that when uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or mm-hmm. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel, mm-hmm. when they went into the courts of Babylon, 
Mm-hmm. One of the first thing they did when the king offered his food, his food was not conducive for them to eat. And so they asked that they can get pulse and water to drink for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And the pulse and the water was nothing but the pulse was nothing but bean sprouts and stuff like that. And when they ate that for 10 days and drank water, they were much better than all of the rest who was partaking of the king's diet. So diet has always been a part of Elohim's program. When they came out of Egypt, what did Elohim give them? He gave them manna. Mm-hmm. He gave them a simple diet. So every reformation and revival that Elohim has given his people, it it always been accomplished by a diet. Just like when we look at the ministry of John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. John the Baptist was preparing the way for Yeshua, the Messiah. And the Bible explicitly said that John ate locusts and wild honey. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that the locusts that he ate was that when Leviticus says that it's okay to eat locusts because that was a clean insect. But the locust that John the Baptist ate was not the locust insect. It was from the locust tree. Mm-hmm. It was a tree that had the locust fruit on it. And I think some people may call it a carrot or something. Mm-hmm. But he was eating actually, uh, John was actually a vegetarian. John did not eat any meat. Mm. And so when you look at what Elohim is trying to do, he is saying that in order to sanctify your spiritual life, you have to do certain things. But also, you need to sanctify your spirit, uh, your physical life by eating certain things and not eating things that the Torah or the covenant does not permit you to eat. Mm. Wow. Excellent point. And I think that's an awesome place to end. Pastor, can you take us to the throne in prayer? Okay. Hello, Father, as we... Over these few weeks, has been studying about the redemptive area of the water and the spirit. In creation, you had the water and the spirit. And when we go through the scriptures, we see the water and the spirit in the time of the restoration of the world when Noah, or Heavenly Father, was on the ark. And we find that the Holy Spirit, through the form of the dove, was over the waters. And we find again that when your people, Israel, came out of Egypt, they went through the waters, and the east wind blew as a symbol of the Holy Spirit over the waters. And we have found out that the waters, the redemptive area of the water and the Spirit, it is where we marry Elohim. It is where we have the wedding. It is where we have the washing is where we were born again. It is also a place that we die and we are resurrected. And we ask that as we look at these ceremonial symbols, that we may adjust ourselves to this, because when we do, we become a part of the family of Elohim. So as we continue to study the covenant, we ask that you would continue to open our minds to be able to receive the things that you have given to us. And as we've looked at dietary practices as well, that they too may be a part of our the everyday life that we can get the longevity and also the peace of body that you would have us to have because we are eating only the things that the covenant has given us to eat. And as we do that, then we can expect to be able to have the best of health. And we ask anyone and everyone who has listened to this podcast that as they adopt themselves and their lives to the principles that you have laid down, they may find a better course of life. 
And as they find that better course and that more abundant life, that they can be able to reflect not only what they say, but in their lifestyle, they can be able to present the the principles of truth. So as we close out for this evening, we ask that you would bless each listener and that you would do for them that which is needed. Where they are weak, that you would give them strength. Where they are in darkness, you would give them the light. And where they are ignorant, you would give them knowledge. And where they are down, you would lift them up. And when you have done for us that which we ask, you give us another occasion of giving your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We ask that you listeners, if you could please go to our website at psychov.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com, and take the two-question survey. It'll only take you about 30 seconds, if that. It will help us out tremendously. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Until next week, shalom.